We've had a, a big interruption in the series. Uh, most of you have known in uh, these last several weeks, as I had spent a couple of weeks in Tanzania with leaders from our Assemblies of God, pastors from our Assemblies of God, so I missed two Sundays by being in Tanzania for two and a half weeks. And then coming back, I, I'm, I'm still sort of on that Tanzania high, if you would, excited about uh, what we saw, about the ministry that took place, about the discussion that we had with leaders and pastors about seeing God do incredible things here in Ohio for Jesus Christ. And so it took three weeks. I, I was naive. I thought I would just come back and share in one week all that God had done and all that we had seen. It took three weeks to try to unpack that to share about the trip, to share some takeaways, to share some things God was speaking to me personally and, and for our church and for our area, for our state. And so by being gone in Tanzania, by coming back and speaking about Tanzania, it has been literally weeks since this series. Some of you are thinking, what in the world series was it? Wonder no more. Uh, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. The series was entitled, How to Pray. We're taking a look and began taking a look at the Lord's Prayer. This is probably the most famous, most well-known, uh, uh, most familiar text on prayer in the Word of God. And so we were working our way through the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, at different points in the Scriptures, Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he does just that. So what we're going to do, and this, is, uh, this will be for all of our benefits, all right? We're going to go ahead and take a look, and we're just going to read through this passage, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And we'll just kind of summarize and, and give some overview as to where we have gone in some of our past messages. So this will be the fifth and final uh, message in this series. All of the other ones can be uh, listened to, downloaded uh, from the website, algerag.com. So as we take a look at this, uh, we're going to kind of get all of us caught up to speed. If you are a part of this, this is refreshing your memory from a number of weeks ago. If you are not here for this or for all of these, it kind of refreshes the memory, but it gets us all on the same page as we then will finish the Lord's Prayer today. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, Jesus begins by instructing his disciples that when they pray, they should pray privately. Here's what he says. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we are to pray privately. Now, that doesn't discount, that doesn't eliminate the opportunity for what we've experienced, which is a public uh, prayer time in, in the body of Christ. What that's saying is, that's not the only time we should be praying. If, if you're waiting on Sunday morning for Pastor Mark or for Mel to pray, and you mumble a few words, boy, you need a lot more to, to jump in and pray about, right? So Jesus is saying that the basis, the foundation of our prayer is we get alone with God and we pray. We connect with and we communicate with God personally and privately. 
Certainly, we can fellowship together, we can worship together, we can pray together, but the bulk and the the majority of our prayer, it should be us developing that personal time, that private time with God. He continues. Verses 7 and 8 encourages us and his disciples to pray sincerely. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Aren't you glad for that? He knows what you need before, but we can still make it a matter of prayer, bring it to Him, and pray sincerely. And so in that particular portion, as we were looking at a number of weeks ago, we said we don't have to try to copy somebody else. You don't have to try to use the words and phrases of somebody else. You don't don't have to try to sound like somebody else. Sometimes we feel that unless we pray like so-and-so, we're just not praying. Maybe you felt that way. You know, growing up, maybe as a child or even as an adult, when you heard so-and-so pray, you think, man, that person is touching God. I bet they did. But that doesn't mean we have to copy them. We can pray sincerely, even though it might sound a little different than they do. We don't have to use certain words. We don't have to use multiples of words. Sometimes people think that the more that we pray, the more words that he uses, let's just throw all kinds of fillers in, the more impressed God's going to be. We don't have to try to impress God. We can pray very simply, very sincerely, our heart to the Lord. So we've worked our way through. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray privately, pray sincerely. Thirdly, we looked, we said, we need to pray regularly. Verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray. Verse 6, he says, but you, when you pray. Verse 7, when you are praying. And in verse 9, pray then in this way. Am I think Jesus has a point to make when he repeats something again and again and again? When something's important, we tend to repeat it. When something's important, we tend to repeat it. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. He says, when you pray, as you pray, pray like this. He's teaching them, trusting in them, believing in them, assuming that there will be prayer. There should be regular, faithful times of prayer. So let's develop that. Let's build that in our lives. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching us to pray privately, pray sincerely, pray regularly. Verse 9, he encourages us to pray reverently. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, holy, Set apart is your name. We come to the Lord and we do so reverently, not not flippantly or jokingly. We can come to him certainly sincerely and real as to who we are, but he is our heavenly father and we can honor and reverence him. Verse 10, he teaches his disciples to pray willfully. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, this is a tough one for us because we want God to approve what we're already doing. We come in prayer and we say, God, if you would just bless all the stuff I've already started, all that dumb stuff I've already done, kind of give that approval. 
It's in reverse. We come to the Lord, we say, God, I want to do your will. Your will be done. And so as we pray, we pray willfully, and we pray dependently. Verse 11 and 12, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We are dependent upon him for provision as we pray, give us this day. We're dependent upon him for forgiveness as we say, forgive us our debts. So all of that, we, we've made our way through this entire portion, and this morning we're going to be concluding in verse 13 as we look at the thought about praying submissively. Submissively, that we are submissive. We submit to God in all things as we pray. Verse 13 says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. See, the Bible tells us here in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. You know what? The reality is, you and I do a pretty good job of finding it all by ourselves. Speaking of uh, temptation, maybe you heard about uh, the, the one man who was trying to lose weight, trying to be healthy, but he came into office one day carrying two large boxes of donuts. that sound good about now? We're going to have a whole bunch of those next Sunday. So forget about this story. So his, his co-workers asked him what in the world he's doing with these two large boxes of donuts when he's been very vocal about trying to lose weight. And he answered, he said, well, I drove to the corner donut shop. And I told God, I was spiritual. He said, God, if you want me to buy some donuts, you will have to miraculously make a parking space right in front of the donut shop up here because that never, ever happens. Then and only then, I'll know that it was your will. Well, God answered my prayer. After eight times around the block, <laughs> there it was. See, you and I, we do a pretty good job of getting into temptation on our own. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Temptation. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. How can we submit? How can we be submissive to God? And how do we handle this explosive thing called temptation? Let's look at the first thought this morning. You and I must recognize the truths of temptation. The truths of temptation. We're going to go through a number of these, and there should be a, a slide for each one if you're taking notes. Be a number of thoughts on there for you. Here's a first truth about temptation know that everyone is tempted. Everyone. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 in the Good News translation says this. Every temptation that comes your way is the kind that normally comes to people. Every temptation is the kind that just normally comes. It's, it's normal. It is something that each and every one of us will face. This thing called temptation. Every one of us are vulnerable. Every one of us can fail or can fall and can give in to temptation. Doesn't matter how young or old. Doesn't matter how strong or mature in the faith, temptation will come. Have you experienced that to be the case? 
No doubt you have been tempted as a young person. And if you're not a young person, I see a few that are not young persons in this place. Just a few. No matter what the age might be, I would venture to say you and I have experienced temptations of various kinds. Various strengths, various times, various situations, whether it's pride, greed, lust, you name it, we face it. Do you know that men are tempted? Do you know that women are tempted? Do you know that young people are tempted? Adults and senior citizens are tempted. How many of you know that even Sunday school teachers are tempted? <gasps> Sister Charlotte. Is that true? She's nodding her head yes. Sunday school teachers, board members, pastors, temptation is out there. And so we've got to understand the truth. It's, it's not that, well, you're going to face temptation, but I'm not. We all will face temptation. But understand this. Know that when we are tempted, we are not tempted by God. James 1.13 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That's the second thought. We're not tempted by God. There are temptations that are out there, but it's not God who's dangling some of these things in front of us. There's another individual who's going to be behind a lot of that. It's not God. How many of you have, have heard the, you know, the, the statement, I couldn't help it. Well, blame it on God. God's not the one that's tempting. So every single one of us are tempted. We're not tempted by God. Here's another truth about temptation. Spiritual warfare is real. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, that, that, that's a, a heavy couple of verses, right? So we've got to be balanced in our approach here. But understand that temptation can be very much a spiritual battle. Now, we've got to be cautious that we don't go looking for a demon behind every bush. But we've also got to be aware of the fact that there is a spiritual battle. There is an enemy, Satan, the tempter, and he does not want us succeeding in the Lord. Now, we can certainly get into a whole lot of trouble ourselves, but many times there is help as the enemy is trying to tempt. Did you catch that? The devil schemes. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil. Don't overlook that reality. See, the Bible uses some pretty strong imagery here, right? Be strong. Put on the full armor of God. Take your stand. This, this, is a, this is a battle that's being waged. How many of you know it's a battle against temptations? But here's the next truth for us to understand. 
God's not the one that's tempting us. It is a spiritual battle that we're in. But understand this, temptation itself is not sin. Being tempted is not sin. It's when we give into the temptation that is the sin. There's a lot of different reactions when people are tempted. There's alarm. How in the world could I think of this or do that? There's guilt. Man, I I messed up and I blew it. There's discouragement. Man, how am I ever going to dig out of this hole or out of this pit and, and, and be free? There's a lot of different thoughts when it comes to temptation and giving in. The enemy, he's going to use everything he can to come against and to make us feel guilty even for the temptation. The temptation is not sin. It's the giving into it that is the sin. But think about this. Go back to the Old Testament, a very familiar, well-known aspect of temptation. Do you remember King David? The Bible says that he was not with his army. He was not where he should be when the, the kings went to war. And the Bible says that in one, one particular night, he was up on his rooftop. Anybody been on your rooftop? All right. A little more flat, flat tops and roof, roofs back then. See, he was up on his rooftop, and the Bible says that he noticed a beautiful woman bathing. Now, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here, okay? God's Word doesn't say it, but I'm just going to assume that she was naked. <laughs> oh, pastor said naked. I just said it again. Okay, unless I'm wrong, most people tend to be that way when they bathe. Okay? So, the Bible says he spotted a beautiful woman bathing. Boom, right there, that's temptation, right? Now, what he does from that point on determines whether he gets into that realm of sin, right? The second look, the third look, the continued look, the continued gaze, I mean... He had opportunities to say no. But what did he do? The Bible says he asked about her. Go find out who that beautiful naked woman was. See, I just said it again. Some of you are keeping track. That's three. Three times that I said naked. No, that's four. Four times that I said the word naked. No, it's... I got to stop. I'm just going to keep counting. He didn't stop. He asked about the woman, wanted to find out who she was. He could have stopped then. And then what did he do? He had her brought to him in the castle, his palace. Found out she was a married, beautiful, naked woman. How many is that? Okay. She's taking she's take notes. I mean, every step along the way, he could have said, no, say no, say no. Found out she was married, slept with her. To my knowledge, I think you have to be naked to do that. Seven, okay. She becomes pregnant. He then tries to hide it. He brings her husband back from war and hopes that her husband will get together with her and then it just really won't uh, 
surprise anybody that she has a baby. He refuses to because the rest of the army is out. and They're sleeping out in the battlefield, so he is not going to celebrate this opportunity with his wife. So what does King David do? After his initial thought, after his initial look, after the initial temptation, he's gone step by step by step by step by step all the way to the point where he assigns her husband to the front of the battle lines and commands the commander to withdraw the army so that, oops, her husband dies. See, that first opportunity, temptation, but not sin. Boy, he followed it up and followed it up and followed it up, and there was no doubt about sin. You and I, that inadvertent glance, that temptation to steal, that whatever the case might be of lust or stealing or pride or whatever the case, there's temptation. The question is, what are we going to do with that? Being tempted is not the sin. It's when we give in to the temptation that it becomes the sin. Here's what we know. Temptation is not sin, but temptation can be overcome. Final truth that I want to share with you this morning under this first thought. 1 Corinthians 10.13, as we finish out that verse, it says, God keeps his promises and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your power to resist. At the time you are tempted, he will give you the strength to endure it and so provide you with a way out. Here's two incredible promises. God will give you strength and God will give a way out. That's good news. Here's the bad news. We don't often take it. We say, oh, the devil made me do it. I had no choice. We have a choice. We have the opportunity to say no. We have the opportunity to walk away. We have the opportunity to exit the conversation. Whatever the case might be, at work, at school, in the community, wherever temptation occurs, God has promised to give strength, and God has promised to provide a way out. It's up to us to take it. Young people. Man, you face a lot. That the world, the culture that you are in now, the technology that is available now, the pressures and the friendships and the substances that are available now, there's a lot of temptation and pressure that goes along with the temptation. Not just for young people, but for adults. When those temptations come, understand God's there to give strength. God's there to provide a way out. And sometimes that way out means getting out of that party, getting out of that car, leaving the conversation with so-and-so, whatever the case might be, even if that means taking a hit to the reputation, better to take a hit to the so-called reputation than give in to the temptation. That almost rhymed. Play that back and write that down. So there's a number of truths. God's word has many truths about temptation. We've got to be aware of them. Secondly, this morning, know that we can request help against temptation. 
You're not in it by yourself. I'm not in it alone. We can have help. So number one, go to God. And requesting help, we can go to God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why do we go to God? Why can we call upon Jesus Christ? He was tempted as we were, yet without sin. But he provides the help and the strength. It says we can come boldly. We don't have to kind of come wimpily. We can come boldly and say, God, I need help. I'm facing some struggles, some issues, some temptation. Would you give me the strength? Would you show me the way out? And would you give me the strength to take the way out? Come boldly. We can obtain mercy, find grace to help. He knows. He understands. He's been through similar temptations, what you and I experience. Tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. I know the, the, the skeptical and the thinking say, now, wait a minute, Pastor Mark. There was no internet in the Bible. There were no smartphones in the Bible. Temptation is still temptation. What's the root of that? Still tempted specifically by the enemy in multiple ways. So the, the various issues that you and I face, boil them down. He has faced those same things without sin. He knows what we experience. He provides the strength. He provides the guidance. He, he provides the power. We can receive his power. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, looking around, I, I see we've got some pretty buff guys. It's pretty strong ladies as well. In our own strength, we're pretty weak. He says, be strong, not, not in your own strength. He, he didn't say, stand in front of the mirror and, and pose. That's not going to impress too many people. He said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God. In other words, he wants to help. He wants to equip. He wants to outfit you. How many of you like outfits? Boy, nobody raising your hand. It's the temptation not to be honest right about there. He's got an outfit all picked out. Ephesians 6 talks about it. Every piece of the armor is to help us in this spiritual battle. He says, don't go into battle alone. Don't face the trials and the temptations and the hardships of life all by yourself. Come to me. So we say, go to God. We can't handle temptation on our own, but with God, with his strength, with his power, request help. Another thought in requesting help is this. We can share our struggles. James 5.16 says, admit your sins to each other and pray for each other. All right, 
I know right about now, 99.9% of you get, just got super nervous. You just got super nervous that we're going to close the service and you got to go find somebody that you don't know and go tell them all your sins. It's not how we're closing the service. I'm not saying you've got to broadcast it to the, to the nation. But I would venture to say there is probably somebody in your life, family member, friend, church individual, somebody that you know and love and trust who is a mature Christian believer who loves and cares about you, who you could share and be accountable to. Man, struggling in this area. Would you pray with me? Would you help me? Uh, can we go to God together? Can, can he give some insights? Because see, here's what the enemy, part of that, that spiritual battle, the enemy wants you to believe and the enemy wants me to believe that we are the only one who's ever faced what we're facing. Nobody knows what I'm facing. They don't know the hardships. They don't know the struggles. They don't know the temptations. And the truth of the matter is this. There are many other individuals who have faced many of the same things you faced. And through God's help and through God's strength, they have overcome them. And maybe in a time of sharing, God would lead you to hear some words of encouragement from a brother or sister in Christ. Or maybe to share some encouragement with a brother or sister in Christ. So a part of requesting help, maybe we can share our struggles with a godly Christian believer who can help and encourage. As well, we can shift or refocus our attention. See, we get tempted. Many times it's, it's that thought, it's that, that part of the mind where we think, I'm going to do this, say this, go here, be with this person, whatever the case might be. We begin to think, begin to dwell on things. Here's what Philippians 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 8 says. Finally, brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Maybe a little different uh, version than you've heard. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, I, think, I think Paul was a southerner. He, he said to fix. Got to fix your thoughts. But fix, prepare, think about these kinds of things. What did he mention? True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. If that's what's filling our minds, what kinds of things will we be taking part in? True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise. The temptation comes in, we think, we dwell, we kind of let it rattle around a little bit. Pretty soon it's, it's taking root, it begins to develop. We've thought about, we've, we've contemplated, we've rationalized, we've made excuses, whatever the case might be. Rather than focusing on the temptation that's come in, focus on what God's word has to say. Focus on the good, the lovely, the pure, the holy, the admirable. As one pastor wrote, holy thinking produces 
holy living. I like that. The Bible also says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What are we allowing our minds to think about and to be filled with? Final few thoughts before we conclude. Resist the enemy. So we we recognize there's a number of truths of temptation. God's word speaks many truths. Know that we can request help. We don't have to battle the temptations that come through life all by ourselves. When it comes right down to it, we've got to resist the enemy. Here's what James chapter 4, verse 7 says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. So there's our last three thoughts. You can write them in in advance. Submit to God, resist the enemy, and the enemy will flee. Submit to God. There's that, that thought again. How do we pray? We pray submissively. We're going to submit to him, not to the fleshly lusts or desires, not to the temptations that we're presented with. We're going to submit to God. We recognize we can't handle it on our own. We need his strength. We need his help. We need his assistance. Surrender, submit to God. And as we surrender and submit to him, we resist the enemy. Now, do we literally, physically go out and try to push something? Spiritual battle. Here's an excellent way to help submit to God and resist the enemy. It's the Word of God. The Word of God. The Bible calls this a sword. In Ephesians chapter 6, we've got all kinds of, of equipment, right? Breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, feet shod with the preparation of peace, on and on and on. There's one offensive weapon. A bunch of things that are defensive, a bunch of things that will guard us and protect us. There's one weapon that we can wield. It's the Word of God. You and I can allow God's Word to get into our hearts by reading and learning and studying and even memorizing God's Word. So that when temptations come, we've got some of God's Word in us. He's going to bring back to our attention, bring back to our minds as that help, as that guidance, as that strength, as that way out. Don't just get into God's word, although that's important. Get God's word into you. We read and learn and and study and memorize. Best example is truly our example, Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, it said that he was tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness. How about that for a one-on-one pay-per-view? Wouldn't that be incredible? We read about it in the Word of God. And what did Jesus say? Check out the gun show. 
No. Had nothing to do with his physical strength. Each and every temptation that was cast upon him, how did Jesus answer? It is written. It is written. Satan, it's in this book. Here's how I'm going to handle that. Here's how I'm going to face that. It's with the word of God. Now, if there's one person who could simply have flexed a little bit in handling the enemy, it would be Jesus, son of God. 100% God, 100% man. Yet he handled temptation the way you and I can. It's in the word of God. So we submit to God. We resist the enemy. And a big part of that can be as we learn and study and memorize, we get God's word into us. We're thinking and reflecting and, and meditating on God's word rather than all the other stuff that is tempting one of the most effective things we can do. Get God's word in. So we submit to him, resist the enemy. I already told you in advance what happens. He's going to flee. He's going to flee. Is there some power there? Yes. Is he all-powerful? Absolutely not. As we submit to the Lord, as we resist him, as we face him, not in our own strength, but with the strength of God and in the word of God, we resist the enemy and he will flee. So the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And in these, just these handful of verses, Jesus teaches and gives principle after principle after principle on how we can pray. He closes out by saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can pray submissively to him and know and trust that he is strong enough to help us in what you and I might face. 